My name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at River West. Great to see you today. We're going to open up the word together. In fact, if you need a Bible, there are ushers who gladly, joyfully would love to hand you a Bible. We want everybody to have the, um, the written word in front of them. We'll also put the words on the screen. But if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and someone will give it to you. Um, before we dive into the word, I need to take care of just a little bit of business. Uh, over the last, uh, the past couple of weeks, Adam McMurray, who is our senior pastor, who I love, has made known both his lack of knowledge and appreciation of our national pastime, the game of baseball. And it has been tragic to witness for me personally. He, he did that by mocking one of the greatest movies ever made, Field of Dreams. And... <laughs> I mean, we, if that's not funny, refer to last week's podcast. But he started his illustration and he's like, there's this Kevin Costner movie and it's completely ridiculous. And I was like, Waterworld. And he's, no, he... <laughs> there's like a holy trinity of Kevin Costner baseball movies that are completely plausible and should never be mocked publicly. And so I don't know if you agree with that. And I don't care. Um, <laughs> over the past couple of weeks, though, we've, we have been, as a community, embracing what we believe, um, preparing for what we believe God wants to do in our community. We believe that God is bringing a, a season of renewal and revival where, where people will come to faith in Jesus, where our lives will be transformed together as a community. It's something that we're praying into. It's something that we're longing to see happen. And we've had this question over the past few weeks that has been leading us into a sermon series that will start next week on the book of Luke, where for the next year and a half, we're going to lift up the person of Jesus, study the book of Luke verse by verse. And we recognize, though, that we as a community need to get ready for what God is going to do. We need to... Um, Ask this question that, that, that is printed on your bulletin, I believe, somewhere that says, are you ready? And so we've been wondering and, and we've been considering what does it look like to get our hearts ready for a move of God? And what does it look like to prepare our minds for a move of God? And we've had this theme verse that's in 1 Peter chapter 3. Please turn there if you haven't yet. It's, it's in verse 15 and into the beginning of verse 16. It says this, but in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. And so this morning, this weekend, we're going to reshape the question from are you ready to a communal question. Are we ready? Are we ready for a move of God? We, as, as a pastoral team, we've recognized it's not just about personally considering what God might do or personally preparing your hearts, but we want to discover what kind of community is God calling us to be. We're, we're considering when, when folks begin to join our community, when they begin to look in, when they begin to walk through the doors, what are they going to experience? So we're asking the question, are we ready? I've been in pastoral ministry for 12 years now. 
in the first couple of years was in Orange County, California, in Southern California. I was in youth ministry for those early years, and our, our youth ministry had this mantra that we lived by. We said it every week, we believed it, we meant it, and that it was every week we'd start by saying, welcome to the family. We just, it was, it was this normalized um, word that we said to one another, but it wasn't, just, it wasn't just an idea, it was something that we sought to live out together. And what it did was it reminded RHY, our little youth community, that we're a family together. So each week, welcome to the family. We believed wholeheartedly that God, in fact, had welcomed each of us into his family through Jesus. So what that meant was that we were sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters together. Now, as youth pastors, we would use this to keep the kids from dating too. We would so bad. Like we'd see a budding romance start. We'd be like, dude, she's your sister. And, <laughs> and uh, it worked. So there was three guys in our group, Josh, Brian, and Chandler, that, that really, they like grew up in, in RHY and they embodied this message of welcome to the family. They, they lived it out. They, it was so powerful to see the way that they loved each other. They, these, these, these three guys came from broken homes. And so our, our ministry, our community was actually their family. And so they took it so serious that we would live together as a family. So they would champion these values. If somebody in the community was gossiping about someone else, they would, they'd be the first to shut it down. If, if someone felt excluded, they would be the first ones to include them in that. Anytime the normal high school politics would rise to the surface in our ministry, they would be the ones that say, hey, we're a family. That's not what we do around here. And it created this unique experience of community. So this is Orange County. So you've got kids whose neighbor is Kobe Bryant, and you've got kids who live in low-income housing, and you've got star quarterbacks and indie rock kids, and all together forming this community because of God, because of Jesus, forming this family together. This sense of family was compelling, and it was pervasive, and, and I think more than anything, it was contagious, and you felt it, and you felt like you were a part of something. And these three guys in particular, Josh, Brian, and Chandler, they did the best job. You would think perhaps that because they loved each other so much that they would just kind of form this little group together to the exclusion of others, but they were the first to notice if a new person had come in. Hey, are you new? Welcome to the family. It's good to meet you. Tell me your story. They would be the first to find someone sitting in the back of the room on a Thursday night and say, hey, come sit with me. We're family together. They lived this out. It was a beautiful picture of what God was creating and I think what God longs for in community and in family. And we got to be a part of it. I got to just witness as, as a pastor in that ministry. I got to witness these kids practice this together. It was an amazing thing. Shaped me as a pastor. Shaped me just as a person to see that, to see the way they embodied that and I know that you, you may be asking yourselves this morning, what does any of that have to do with renewal or revival? I thought we were going to talk about exciting things happening in our church. And what I want to bring to you today is the news that that picture of family has everything to do with the renewal that God wants to do in our community. 
And I think we're gonna see that today. My goal, my aim, my agenda today is that we would discover together a vision of community, a vision of family that is both loving and welcoming. A community that loves each other deeply, but also that is welcoming to all sorts of people. And so we're going to look at verse 8 in chapter 3, the same passage that we've been looking at each week. So turn your eyes there. Peter says this in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. What he's doing in this passage is he's giving us a vision of how a family should function. These are practices, these are virtues of a family that they can use, that they can step into to build love into their family. And so what I want to say first is that we lose, in, in our English translation, we lose the emphatic nature that Peter is writing in. It actually says, <clears throat> finally, you must have unity of mind. You must be sympathetic. You must show brotherly love. You must be that word tender heart is actually compassion. He says, you must be compassionate. You must be humble. These aren't, hey, if you've got some extra time on the weekend, you should do some of these things. This is, this is emphatic. This is in the imperative. This is what they're called to do. And these words that are used here, there's, there's, they're not random. They're not randomly put together. They are, this is a little bit of nerdism, but they are what's called a chiastic structure that Peter has given. And you need to look at the screen and see how they're supposed to come together. Now, in a chiastic structure, the centerpiece, so for us here, the letter C, which is brotherly love, is the primary thing that Peter wants us to look at. It's the primary thing that he wants to teach us, that he wants us to embrace. And the other words that are corresponding, unity and humility correspond together, sympathy and compassion correspond together. Those other words are put together to drive us to a particular vision which is, in this case, brotherly love. Do you see that? Because I'll keep explaining it unless you nod to me, okay? <laughs> I have no problem. Um, so these words humility and unity come together first for us. We have to see that they're integrated together. And you, perhaps you noticed when we read that, that it was unity of mind, and it ended with humble minds. So what Peter is doing is he's giving a vision that we've been looking at, mind and heart. He's been saying, here's how a community of people can grow together in mind and heart. And he says, the first thing I want you to consider in your thinking together is unity and humility. This is the mindset that I want you to pursue. This is, this is what we're going after. When we say, are we prepared in our minds? We're not talking about gaining knowledge for knowledge's sake. Actually, the agenda is unity and humility. And this is seen throughout all of the scriptures, especially and uniquely as the New Testament apostles gave a vision for God's church. 
and how they would live together. Philippians 2, this is perhaps my favorite passage in the New Testament, which I'd say all the time, but I really mean it. Uh, Philippians 2, starting in verse 2, listen to this. Listen for some of these words that we've used. Paul says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, which is the exact same word that's used in First Peter. He says, being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, what is it? Humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of other. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see what's happening there? These, these, these men that, that, helped, that God used to form the first church were committed to people's thinking being aligned, but not just for the sake of knowledge, but for the sake of unity, for the sake of harmony, so that they would become not less, but more humble. Last night, I got a call from Ryan Lee, who's one of our elders. Now, it's part of the elders' practices to call, um, call the, the preaching pastor the day before on, on Saturday night to pray with them and to talk with them and to encourage us. And he said, he texted me, he said, is it an okay time to call and pray with you? And I said, it is always a good time to pray and call <laughs> So he, so he calls and we're talking and, and uh, we're talking about this message and some of the themes. And then he said, hey, would you pray for, for me? Because tomorrow we're launching the gospel class. The gospel class is a, is a class that we've encouraged our whole community to, to be a part of so that they can learn and, and live out the gospel together and understand when we use the, words, the word gospel, what are we actually talking about? And as we talked and thought and prayed together, we started talking about this, the goal of the gospel class. The goal of the gospel class is not more knowledge. I think it's actually more unity. So we'd encourage each person to join the gospel class so that our thinking would be aligned on the truths of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us, not just as individuals, but as a community together. Are you with me, anybody? The goal is unity. Have this mind amongst yourselves. We want to be united in our thinking and, and we want to grow in a sense of humility together. If somebody was to join, we have, we have some other classes that we encourage people to, to join. One of them is called I'm Glad You Asked, which launched yesterday. It's a, it's a class learning how to share your faith. We have a class called Cojourners launching that is another class about how to have spiritual conversations with people in your life. If someone left that class and they were less humble, then we, I promise, will cancel the class. <laughs> because the goal is a sense of unity and humility, that actually our understanding of how great God has been towards us would bring us together and it would humble us 
in our relationships with one another and our relationships with the world. This is, this is why I pursue the mind in such a way. Can we put that visual back on the screen? And then we have these two virtues of the heart, sympathy and compassion. I know that your Bible says tender hearts, but compassion's closer to what I think Peter is getting at it in these verses. And so the word sympathy is unfortunately fallen under hard times in our world. It's kind of like a not so great word that we use, but it's, it's a biblical principle for how to live in community. One person once said that sympathy means, listen to this, to feel deep in your heart with someone. And so that, that definition, to feel deep with someone, maybe, does that amplify some verses that we've heard over our lives of weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who are rejoicing and celebrating with those who are celebrating the vision of building a family together has this at the core, the practice of sympathy that we would celebrate each other's victories and we would mourn the tragedies that we experience in each other's lives and thus feel for and with each other. So we're called into sympathy. And the word compassion, if sympathy is about feeling with someone, then the word compassion is about those feelings moving us to action. Does that make sense? Sympathy is beginning to understand and to enter into what someone else is experiencing, and then we step out in compassion and acts of love. Why? Because that's how Jesus has treated us. Jesus was moved with sympathy for us, for our condition, and so he acted, so he stepped into our lives, so he endured the cross because his sympathy moved to compassion, and all of those things in our minds and our hearts move us to a vision of brotherly love, of family. The New Testament writers were dead serious about this. They said, this is what you must do. This is who you must be for one another. They're called to build this sort of family and also to welcome people to the family. Not just saying, hey, you know, work on this stuff together, but actually while you're doing that, bring somebody else in. So we've talked about how are we going to build the family? We're going to commit to these things, but how do we welcome people in? I think the first thing we need to do is see that, that these themes of welcome to the family have always gone hand in hand. In Romans 12, verse 13, it says this. In the same breath, Paul would say, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Same, same, same thing. Contribute to what each other needs, but hospitality isn't for your friends. Actually, hospitality is for the stranger. It's for someone who may even appear to be an enemy. And in the same breath, he would say, pursue unity together and, and bring somebody into it. Romans 13, 1-2 says this, let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love, the same exact term used in our first Peter passage. And he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. The vision is that a community of Jesus is learning to love one another so that they can share in that with their neighbors, with their friends, and with even their enemies. That is what God is calling us into. 
I think that the most inspiring families are the ones whose love for one another overflows. I was at, um, I was at the house of a, of, a, of a man who's a colleague with my wife. They work together. His name's Monty, this amazing guy. And I walked into his house and, and almost immediately starts talking to me about his family. He's like, I've got six kids. I was like, you have six kids? Tell me about those six kids. He's like, well, there's our three biological kids that were born into our family, but, but then there's um, then there's these, these two girls that we adopted from overseas. And, and then there's, there's, this, there's this young man who has special needs who we've just, we just adopted him into our family. We're his full-time caretakers. And he's, he's not blood, but he's our family. And so we kind of rebuilt the back of our house so that he could live here. And I started to think as he's telling me this, and I said, that's actually what we're talking about here. It's a family that is, has learned this, this practice of loving one another and they've been so committed to it. They've been so transformed by it that they just need to keep building the family, amen? They're like, we, we've got these three kids, but we need to love these two. And, and, and this person over here is, is destitute or orphaned. We need to bring them into our family. We need to rearrange our sense of what this home is for to bring somebody else in. Now that is a picture of Christian community. That's compelling. Rather than huddling up together, they said, God has done so much in us, so much for us. We have to share this. We have to open our doors. We can't lock ourselves away. The door must be wide open, and it's a vision for how we love and welcome people into our community. Now, I want to say this because Adam and I, as we've been talking about our community of River West, we have embraced this idea that in a gospel renewal, people could actually accept our community before they accept our creed. Think about that. People could say, I'm actually not really sure what I think about the Bible and I don't really know much about Jesus, but I see the way these people are loving each other and I feel so welcomed here. And, and those things work together so that they actually begin to say, maybe, maybe what they're saying is true because they're seeing it. There's this amazing theologian, missionary, pastor of the 20th century named Leslie Newbegin. And he said this. He said, I have come to feel that the primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact on public life is the Christian congregation. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible? That people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? And he says this, I am suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. What's he saying? He's saying that the best way to share the gospel with someone is by living it out together and inviting it, them into it. He says that, that may do more work than, an arg, than a well-crafted argument. And I'm going to argue that it would do way more than a well-crafted argument. 
this man, Leslie Newbegin, traveled all over the world sharing the gospel in all sorts of different contexts. And he said, the, the key thing for the gospel to impact our world and our society and our culture is when a group of people live it and share it. Amen? Amen, Eric. We love it. This, I think, is the best way to get our, our minds and our hearts wrapped around the gospel together. And it leads us to be a people that overflow. I want to put up the um, verse 15 again. I want to see this. So this is, this, is, this is where this is all leading. We build family together, and then people want to know what's going on here. And, and Peter ends this verse by saying, Make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And he goes on to say, having a good conscience. So we practice love together. People see it. We invite them in, or they just see it from afar and and, and have to join in. And and then the question is, is, how will we treat them? Somebody comes in and says, no, I'm I'm actually really not on board with the Bible. I'm I'm really not on board with Jesus. In fact, this is what I believe. Will we treat them with gentleness and patience? Will we slam them over the heads with a Bible? (laughs) No. Or will we treat them with respect and say, actually, you have a place here and you you can journey with us and see what, how what we believe about Jesus has changed everything. So the gentleness and respect are not just something we pursue on our own. It's actually something that we practice together. Does that make sense? We practice this together and then we live it out when people come in and they look at what God is doing here. That's the goal. That's our aim. And it's what we must do. It's not an option. It's, it's like, like Peter said, we, we must live this way. We have to. What do we need to lay down so that we can live this way? That's a question I think we need to ask this morning. Probably if you're hearing and seeing these, these words, these virtues that God's called us into, my guess, my hope is that a lot of you are nodding your head saying, yeah, I need to be more sympathetic. You're right. I need to be more compassionate. Or I want to I I be more unified with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we say, yes, yes, we need more of that. But there's some mindsets that are working against this that we have to become aware of, that we have to say, I, I see not just that this is God's vision for human flourishing, but I see that there's other visions that are working against it. And I believe that there's a, few, a couple mindsets in particular that we need to renounce. Greg Thompson, who's a Christian pastor and writer, says this. He says, there are two parodies of community. I like that word. Parodies of community in our world today that have infected the church. And he says those two parodies are the individualist approach to community and what he calls the tribal approach to community. Now, what is the individualist approach to community? This sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? It's like individualist community. The idea is that the individualist approach is a person, a mindset that says community exists solely from, from my needs, from my wants, from my hopes, from my desires. 
Community is really about self-actualization, self-realization, maybe even self-preservation. And, and, and so many of us live and exist in this mindset of community of, of, yeah, I'd like community, but as long as I get it on my terms, as long as it's easy, as long as it's convenient, then yeah, I'll join a group. But when the weirdos show up, I'm out. I think that we rarely, we rarely know that this is happening in us. And I actually see, unfortunately, this mindset in my own family. So I have three children, three offspring. And the oldest of them is my son, Judah, who's wonderful. And um, he is the only kid who knows what it's like for the other ones to not be around. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he lived a little bit of life. And um, he reminds us of this all the time. Parents, you know what this is. If you've got the, the oldest child, like, well, this conversation happens weekly. We'll be, it'll be my wife, Anne-Marie, and I, and we're talking to our son, and usually he's sitting on the couch, and he says, do you guys, do you remember how good it used to be? Do you? And he does this, too. He leans back and closes his eyes like an old man. He's, remember the good old days? Remember when it was just us? Remember how easy it was and how comfortable we were and it was so easy for the two of you to just tag team parent me and before the girl came along who's always singing and the little boy who flushes hot wheels down the toilet like before they all kind of broke up the band (laughs) we had such a good thing going direct quote true story I promise you it's human nature to think that community exists for me my preferences, my desires. And, and we almost rarely, he's not thinking about it. That, he's wonderful. He's not thinking about how negative that is. But what do we long to become as a family? We long to become a place where each person says, I can't imagine life without them. Life's so much better because they came into our family with all of their gifts and with all of the, their you know, problems. <laughs> and that's the kind of, family that we're trying to create together and and that's the kind of family that God is calling us as a family because this is a family to be and to become and so we need to renounce that that sense of I don't want anybody to mess this up Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this he said we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. People coming in saying, I actually need some of that love that you're talking about. I actually need some of that care that you're talking about. Is there any room for me? And the individualist approach says, no, there's actually no more room at the table. And we have to renounce that. The other approach is the tribal approach to community. This approach is, I believe, an epidemic because at its core is a desire to ensure that only people like me will be in my community. And we dress it up with like Bible words such as like-mindedness. You know what I mean? I'm just looking for some like-minded people. Almost every time somebody says that to me, I say, 
That's a dangerous way of thinking because we rarely mean, I think, what Paul said back in Philippians 2 of having this mind of of Christ and service and love and care. Oftentimes when we say I'm looking for like-minded people, we mean I'm looking for people who think like me, talk like me, look like me, live like me, vote like me, hang out at the same places that I hang out with. That's the kind of community that I'm looking for and it's actually toxic to the message of the gospel and toxic to the kind of community that God is calling us to be, which is a vision of a loving family that would welcome all people in the name of Jesus, because of Jesus. Do you see that? Do you see those mindsets? And perhaps even as I'm sharing them, and I don't want to shame anybody, but I'd include myself, I, I see those mindsets in me. I see those parodies of community at work in my own mind when somebody walks up to me and I begin to judge them for whatever kind of reason. Or when someone expresses a longing for community and, and it's like, well, I don't know if they'll fit. I think that it grieves the heart of God and he calls us to something that's so much better. And we have to ask the question, is the door actually wide open? You may say, well, I'm practicing community. I believe in community. But maybe the door is just slightly open. But not enough for anybody to come in. Maybe the door's padlocked shut. Maybe the door's open, but you've got a baby gate. You know, I'm, I'm overdoing the illustration, but we, we, how, is the door actually open so that somebody could walk in to our community and say, those people love each other and love me. That's what God is calling us to. And so together we practice unity and sympathy and compassion and humility so that we can give it away at the very next chance. So that we can invite the very next person that we see to participate and experience what God is is doing in our lives. So if you're new here at our church, I have one assignment for you. Let us know how we're doing. You can email adam at riverwest.org. I'm kidding. Um, I want to know how we're doing. When you walk in, do you feel welcome? Did, were you greeted? Were you... Did you get a sense for there's, there's a way that these people treat each other that, which is different than what we see in the world and suddenly they're treating me in the same way. That is what God's calling us to. That is who we must be. That is what we must become. The doors to the kingdom of God are always wide open and there's always another seat at the table. There's always more room. So how do we respond to this today? There's many different ways that we can do this. Certainly, if, if, if any of us sees those parodies of community in, in our own thinking and acting, we, would, we must renounce them. But there's a unique way that we do that, and it's something that we do every week. Every single week, as a community, we come to the table of communion. Now, why would we do that? There's, certainly, we would, we would come to the table of communion to remember the death of Christ, which is at the center of our story as Jesus followers, is is the death of Jesus. And so we are 
reminded his body was given for us and we're reminded that his blood was spilled for us. And, he, and, and yet, the communion table is also a practice that we do where we see all sorts of people come forward to receive grace from God. We see a person across the room who in our, our minds maybe is, oh, that's the most likely person to come to the communion table. Or we see a person walking up and we think perhaps maybe that's the least likely person to receive God's grace and his kindness. And the communion table does this amazing thing that it levels the playing field completely. Young, old, come together. Men, women, come together. Jesus says, I'm building a community from every tribe and tongue and nation. All come together at the same playing field. All people in need of God's grace. All needy. All hopeless. A community of people that collectively would say, if it wasn't for Jesus, where would we be? So each week we come to the table, and today I invite you to come to the table, and sometimes we individualize this, and we tell you to get the elements and to close your eyes and say a personal prayer, but not today. Today, come to the table with your eyes wide open. Look around, notice, notice this community. Notice these brothers and sisters who perhaps for no other reason would be sitting in the same room if it wasn't for Jesus. Communion is, is for people who, have, who believe and claim that Jesus is their savior and their Lord. They embrace that. And it's the thing, truly, that unifies them. So this morning we'll worship together. We'll sing together. After this song, I'll come back up and lead us in, in a time of communion. But, but would you come this morning with your eyes wide open and, and consider the grace of God in your life and in everyone that's in here? Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for your kindness to us. We are increasingly humbled in our awareness that, that nothing is earned. And we're united in, in our awareness that we have become the family of God together. Lord, would you stir up in our hearts, Lord, love for you and, and a greater love for each other, Lord. Help us to support each other. Help us to celebrate each other's victories and mourn with each other in, in struggle. We pray, Lord, that you would move us as a community towards action, Lord, that we would always be reminded that we didn't have a reservation at the table. You invited us in. And there's always more seats. There's always more room. So we want to live out your gospel. We want to live out your truth. And Lord, we so desperately want to share it with the very next person that we see. So would you lead us today in that? In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.